Before I pray, I'm going to ask you to bear with me, and I'll explain why later. But um, when I was a young adult, I, was, um, I finished high school when I was um, in 17, a semester early. I, was, I, was, I moved to Indiana for college at, when I was 17, and I was beginning my next stage of my life. And over the next couple of years, God had been doing a lot of work in my life in high school and then in my teen years at way at college. And around 18 or 19, he spoke to my heart in so many ways. And part of the, today's message comes from that. But before I get into that with you, I want to, um, I, I wrote a little chorus around 18 years of age while I was in school. I wrote a little chorus, and um, some of you have heard it before. I'm going to sing it to you. You have to help me because I want to ask you to try and pick up on it. There's no words on the screen. Sing it with me. The second time, if you know it the first time, a few of you do, help me out. And uh, it's a simple chorus that I put together when I was just a kid that just expressed my heart towards God. It goes like this. I love you, Lord, and here is why. You came to earth to bleed and die. You rose again and gave me hope when hope was gone. You came into my heart to stay and said you'd never go away. And that is why I love you, Lord, for all you've done. I didn't plan on doing that today, so I didn't put the words up here. But try to catch on with that and sing it with me now. We'll try to do it again later. Uh, best we can. Ready? I love you, Lord, and here is why. You came to earth to bleed and die. You rose again and gave me hope when hope was gone. You came into my heart to stay and said you'd never go away. And that is why I love you, Lord, for all you've done. Father, as we talk about something important this morning, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts in this, uh, this week. We're getting ready for, we're celebrating what you've done this past week. We're getting ready to what we're going to discuss beyond. But today you have something to do in our lives this morning. So I pray that you'll, you'll, you'll speak to us and you'll minister to our souls what we need most and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I was mentioning that I was a young man. I'm on my way at college at 17, and um, God's working on my heart. And I'm just kind of, you know, just really coming into that space where I, I was beginning to really understand what it means to follow him. And along the way, I heard someone share a simple thought when I was 18 or 19, a simple thought with me that has stuck with me all my life. Simple thought, not complicated. But as we got into today's preparation, I wanted to share it with you because it was so impactful to me as a young man. I wanted to pass it on to you. And maybe I was thinking about you, Alex, a little bit because you're young, about around that same you know, age that I was in this space of my life. But I was thinking, and Amber, as you're getting ready to enter the next season of your life, I was thinking about no matter how old we are in this room, how church, you know, used to church we are or not, or not whether uh, it doesn't matter. This principle helped me when I was 18, 19 years old. And I thought, I'm going to share this thought with you today. So I'm going to give it to you at the end of the message. But first, I'm going to go back in time, and I'm going to share with you something from Scripture that you may not understand where I'm going, but if you'll track with me, the Scriptures will explain where we're going to get to at the end. So the story takes place in the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles or your tablets and you want to follow along, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is where we'll be. It'll be on the screen as well. 
And uh, the story is, this is the Pentateuch. This is where, the, the, where Moses is recording. If you, don't, if you don't know the back story, I don't have time to rehearse all of it. But just basically, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They were brought out of Egypt through God's mighty hand as we celebrated last week on Good Friday and um, over Easter. They were brought out of slavery and they were in the wilderness heading towards this promised land that their ancestors, hundreds of years earlier, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel, uh, they were... This, this was the promised land for them. But they had made their way to Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt. And for hundreds of years, they were there. Now God brought them out miraculously. And so they're freed. They're free from slavery. They're happy. But the truth is, is that they were very, uh, they were very uh, I don't know, they, 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 immature. They had never governed themselves. They never had to learn how to, to govern themselves as people. They didn't know how to really follow God. They had always done what their slave masters told them to do. So now they're free, and God will come along, and, and through Moses, the deliverer who he raised up to, to you know, humanly lead that exodus, uh, he, he, God gave them laws to govern themselves by and, and try to build a relationship with them. But they struggled. They're, they're free, but they struggled to trust God. In fact, they complained a lot. They kept saying, God just brought us out here from slavery to kill us. You know, God delivered us from slavery to kill us. It's crazy, right? But because they were hungry, or they were thirsty, or they weren't sure what was going to happen, or they were afraid. And all of this took place until they got to this promised land. And when they got there, they also decided that God could not take care of them inside the promised land. And so they decided, you know, God brought us out of here to kill us, you know. They just weren't ready. So a decision was made. And Moses said that, that what God was doing was he was going to leave them out in the wilderness for, for a few decades. And they became nomadic people. They were free from slavery, that was wonderful, but they were nomadic people wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. And the reason for this was that in this time, this generation that was freed from slavery but just was not ready, just not ready to go into the promised land. Well, they could, you know, they can get older and, you know, finish their, their life and their race, and their children would grow up. And their children would get ready over those 40 years to be the ones who could go into the promised land and occupy and, and, and enjoy it. So they just realized we need some time to let another generation rise who can make the next step that their parents can't seem to make. So 40 years took place. At the end of those 40 years is what, when most of the book of Deuteronomy happens. Deuteronomy is basically Moses saying to the children of Israel, hey, listen, most of you weren't even born or you were very little when a lot of this took place. So let me tell you what you don't remember about how God freed us from slavery, about all the struggles that your parents faced, about how we weren't ready to go into the promised land yet, but you are. And, and, and here's his commands, and here's how to govern yourself, and here's, here's how to, to, to live as a nation. And he just begins to speak to them. And so if you read Deuteronomy, you'll see Moses at the end of his life rehearsing to this new generation what God has been doing for the last many years. And we pick up the story in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 1. He says, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you, 
and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. This verse right here, if I only had time to give you one verse today, which I probably only have time for one, but I'm giving you more. But if I only had time for one, that would be the one. This is, this is it in a nutshell. He says to them, remember how the Lord your God led you these years, these 40 years in the wilderness, humbling you and testing you. Now, when we read that word humble, humbling somebody, we oftentimes think, oh, that's, like, that's, like, that's a bad thing. Like you humbled somebody. It's like a negative thought, right? But, but don't, don't see it in that context. What he's saying is God used these years to teach you to depend on him. Because sometimes we can get to the spot where we think, I, don't, I, I did it myself. I built this, right? I, I'm all good. And we get to the spot where we think, oh, I, you know, I don't need anybody. I'm, look at me, and I, you know, through my own accomplishments, achievements, privilege, whatever it may be. And so God had used that time to humble them or to teach them what we all should know, and that is that to depend on him. Humbling them and, and testing them. To prove their character. Some translations say to prove what's in your heart and to find out whether you would obey his commands. In other words, he was testing to see where their heart was at, to see if they loved him, to see where their love was at. If you read the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, you'll see the same idea. Um, You'll see in um, Romans that it says that God didn't just love us, he demonstrated his love to us. That's what love does. It goes beyond words and into actions, right? That uh, Jesus once said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my, obey my commands. And so, God, God is saying through Moses to these people, God brought you here to humble you, to teach you to depend upon him, and to test you, to see your heart, to see what's going on, see if you're going to follow him, see if you love him enough to follow him. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna. In other words, you were in the wilderness. It's not a time of grocery stores and supermarkets, but God kept feeding you. He fed you with manna a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, rather by they, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And some of you, if you know your, your uh, Bibles at all, that's the same verse that Jesus would later unquote when he was facing temptation in the wilderness. He quotes this passage to say, in, to the, in the face of temptation, um, he, he quotes that verse right there. Verse 4. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out. That's a miracle right there, right? Some of us, we don't have clothes from 40. Some of us do have clothes from a long time ago. I want to confess out loud here that I'm known for holding onto my wardrobe way too long because I hate to spend money on clothing because it's such a waste to me. So I just, my clothes get cycled out when someone in my family lovingly tells me, Arlen, it's time. It's it's time to have a, a committal service for that shirt. You know, and I'm like, okay, fine, you know. But um, I know that um, back then, walking through the wilderness, that would have been a lot more difficult. But God took care of them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet did not blister or swell. It's a miracle. He took care of them. Verse 5, think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord disciplines you for your own good. In other words, God brought discipline into their life to build character, to teach them discipline, to teach them how to make it, to be self-sufficient from being a, a nation of people who lived in slavery and just did what they were told, to being an independent nation of people. God used that time to bring discipline and character into their lives. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. 
For the Lord your God is bringing you, and I'm going to pause here. This is good. We're about to transition. If you notice the last several verses, he said, you've been in the wilderness. You've been in a time of struggle. And God has used it to, hum, to, to teach you to depend on him, to, to test your heart. It's been a time of struggle, and God's brought you through the tough times. Now he's going to look ahead to what's coming next, and it's about to become really good times. He says in verse 7 here, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and, and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. No more manna. You'll have plenty. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. He's saying, look, you've been in a time for 40 years now of developing in a, in a, in a, in a wilderness setting. And now you're about to come to a place where it's going to be abundant. It's going to be great. It's a different environment that you've been in from what you're about to enter. And as he makes this transition, here's what he says in verse 10. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be sure to praise him in those days that are coming. Verse 11, don't miss this. He says, but that is the time to be careful. That is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, his regulations and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. What he's saying is this. Before, you've been in the wilderness for all these years, but God was with you in those times. And he was doing something, and he was faithful, even though it was maybe difficult, and it, wasn't, it, was, it was a transitionary season of life. But now, you're about to be in a, in a, in a wonderful, prosperous place. And God will be with you there too. But Moses was pointing out that both the wilderness and the, and the promised land, both these times of struggle and the times of prosperity, both had pitfalls. Both sides had danger spiritually. On the one end, in the wilderness, it's easy to sit there and say, where's God? I mean, life isn't going the way I want it to go. And you struggle, and so to, 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 for God, to, to realize that he's there in the wilderness during the times of struggle. But now they're about to enter a time of prosperity, and it'd be easy to forget how much we've needed him because we're doing okay now. And so there's a whole different spiritual pitfall waiting to happen when life is going awesome. When you're in the promised land, when you're prospering in every way, there's spiritual dangers. But there were spiritual dangers in the wilderness when you're struggling to get by. And as Moses is pointing out these two seasons of their life, he's saying God did all of this, humbled you, tested you. He's doing something in your life. Because both seasons are important and both seasons are dangerous spiritually. And I think that understanding this concept about the nation of Israel doesn't just apply to a nation of people, it applies to individuals. That's why I think several hundred years after this, hundreds of years later, uh, the book of Proverbs was written, 
A lot of Proverbs was written by Solomon. Some of it was written by other people. One person was a man named King Agur. And he wrote Proverbs 30 in our Bibles. And King Agur says the same thing about himself that I think Moses was trying to say to this nation of people about the times of the wilderness and the times of the promised land, the times of struggle, the times of prosperity. Here's what King Agur said in Proverbs 30 and verse number 8. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Why? For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? If I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. In other words, he said, there's a pitfall in becoming so independent that I'm like, who's God? I, I, I got this. I got this. And if I, if I have too little, I might say, God isn't good. Who cares what's right? I'm going to do what I have to do because, you know, he's not here anyhow. Right? I mean, there's a danger spiritually on both zones. Times of struggle, times of prosperity, wilderness seasons, and promised land. And so, the, and so in these verses that we just read is a truth that I learned when I was young. It's a truth for a nation. It's truth for individuals. And as a young 18, 19-year-old kid, this simple idea stuck with me and has impacted my life all these years. I want to send you home with this in mind. So simple, you write it down. It won't be, it's so basic. But just because it's simple and basic doesn't mean it's not transformative. And I think it can be transformative today. In these scriptures, I think what we see is we see two things that God wants to hear you say. Two things that God wants to hear you say. And when I say say, I mean, and obviously we, we, they're, they're sincere, we do them, they're, they're part of our life, but we articulate it. When I got a hold of this idea as a young man, it helped impact my journey going forward, my prayer life going forward, my daily connection points with God in my busy days of life. Two things God wants to hear you say. Number one, I need you. Lord, I need you. It's easy to recognize that we need God when things are going poorly, but to forget how much we need God when things are going really well. Right? I mean, you know, what, what is the model, what's the model prayer that Jesus said? Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Well, if I got nothing in the cupboards, I'm like, Lord, give me my daily bread. But what, what, how do you pray that if you got plenty? Well, if I have no... I, I, the job, I lost my job, or I, I need a better one, or it's, it's, the company's shutting down. God, provide income. Or, God, it's got something great going here. When, we, when we're in trouble, God, my health is in trouble. God, please be with my health. But when I feel healthy and great, it's easy to forget to pray that prayer. It's easy when we're struggling to get by. Lord, I'm in relationship trouble. A relationship that's important in my life is in, is, is, is in, bad, is in bad shape. God, help. But when they're going well, to forget See, it's easy to say, God, help when my health or relationships or, or security or whatever is going poorly. God, help, help, help. I need you. I need you right now. But when things are going fine, it's not that we don't need him or we don't think. We just kind of forget because we got this. It's easy to recognize that we need God when things go poorly, but to forget we need him when things are going well. It reminds me of the story of the man who was working on his roof, very steep roof, way off off the ground, and he was working on his shingles, 
And all of a sudden, as he's working, he begins to slip and slide off the roof. And he begins to try and grab a hold of something so he doesn't fall. But as he goes to grab a hold of something, nothing is catching him. And he realizes as he begins to tumble down, he can't stop himself. So as he gets near the bottom of the roof, he's going to fall significantly down, maybe break his neck and die, or perhaps maim himself. He, as he begins to slide towards the edge of that roof, he begins to finally, he calls out to God and says, God, please save me. And at that very moment at the edge of the roof, a nail that was sticking out caught his pants and stopped him from going over the edge. And he's like, never mind, thanks anyways, God. I got this now, right? You know what I'm talking about? Now, we, we wouldn't say that in that moment, right? We can chuckle at that. But that's kind of how life can go sometimes. Oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. Help me, help me right now. And then when things are okay, we're just kind of like, ah, we got this. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know he's there. But I think that what Moses was saying, what I think we have to take away from this is that not just when we're in a wilderness pot of life, not just when we're struggling, but when things are going our way, when everything is up and to the right, to say, Lord, I might be doing okay right now, but you know what? I still know I need you. I might not be without groceries in the house today, but Lord, that could change tomorrow. I still need you. Well, my health might be great today, but Lord, I still depend on you. God, my relationships are going really well. We work at those, but Lord, I still need you. Lord, everything in my life, hey, people are treating me the way I want to. It's my world. But I didn't build this. You gave this. You let me have these moments that are so good. And I'm not forgetting during the good times that I need you the way I know I need you during the tough, the, the tough times. And for some of us today, that's where we are. Some of us are in a season of prosperity. We've come from the wilderness to a, a, a time of prosperity. Let me encourage you to remember what we're talking about today, that we still need him, even when it's going pretty well. That's why we sing the song in our worship set occasionally. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. We say this not to remind God. We're not, we're not reminding God because he's forgetful. Hey, God, I need you. He's like, what? What? They need? Oh, no, write this down, Gabriel. I didn't know that. That's not what's happening. God knows. We don't say this to remind God or to make it true. We say this to remind ourselves as well as to let him know that we're aware. We say this to say, Lord, I'm saying I need you because you know I need you, but I want you to know that I'm aware that I need you. Whether things are going tough and I desperately need you or the things are going pretty well, I want you to know I'm aware how much I need you and I'm acknowledging it. I'm just taking the time to acknowledge it. Simple thing to add to your life. But when's the last time that you said, Lord, I need you? When's the last time when you weren't in a pickle, when you just stopped and said, Lord, I need you? We all want this, don't we? Can I just appeal to our humanity for a second? We all want to believe that someone needs us. You know, your spouse is like, man, I just need you. You're the best thing that happened to me. I don't, how would it go on without you? You're like, please go on, tell me more. You know, what we don't want to hear is, you're still around? Yeah, can't move on yet, I guess. You're an anchor to my life. That's not what no one wants to hear that, right? We want to be needed. We want to, we want to be needed. We want to feel valued, don't we? Don't we want to feel valued? That we, add, we contribute to someone's life, make their life better, that we add value to them, that they need us? 
or we just want to know that those people who do depend on us, we want to know that those people who benefit from us, that we serve and help, whether it's your husband or wife or children or the students you teach in school or, or the, the employees that work at your job, we want to believe that they, they, they need us or that they, they, if we add value to their life, that they appreciate, they know it. They recognize, they say, hey, you add value to me. You, you are good. That they understand and recognize the benefit we bring them. We, want to, we all want to be needed, right? Where do you think we get that from? You know, we're made in God's image, aren't we? We're made in God's image. And we say, God, I need you. He's like, well, I know you do, but it sure is nice to hear. It sure is nice for someone to, to acknowledge it. We're made in his image, folks. Don't, don't make God in some weird force. He just wants us to, to know that, we, to acknowledge what we already know. God, I know it. Things are bad or things are good, but either way, I need you. There's a second thing that God wants to hear you say on a regular basis, I think. This, will, this, will, this is so simple, but I think it can add some, some, some daily quality to your journey of faith. The second thing God wants to hear you say is, I love you. I love you. I love you tends to run the opposite of I need you. Can I just really bear with you for a minute here? We're good at saying, Lord, I need you. I'm, I'm reviewing here. We're good at saying, Lord, I need you when I'm in trouble, but then when we're, we're doing fine, we forget to say, Lord, I need you. Love works the opposite way. When things are going good, it's easy to say, God, I love you. Oh, man, everything's going my way. All my peeps are in line. Lord, I love you. But then when things are going bad, to be like, what in the world? God, life's going my way. See, it's the opposite of need. I need you. I'm in trouble, Lord. Things are going okay. I forget that. I love you, Lord. Things are going good. I'm having a tough time. And it's like, what in the world? But just like we still need God when things are going good, we should still love God when things are not going the way we want. Can I just be frank? God has been incredibly good to all of us already. Life is not perfect. We live in a sin-cursed, broken world of which we have contributed our own mess, our own brokenness. We're all part of it. And it's broken, and we're all gonna, we're not getting out of it alive someday, are we, as far as physical life goes. But God has done something for us in this life. First of all, he's given us life. We have life. And that's a gift. Every day we've had so far has been a gift from God, whether we've taken time to thank him for it or not. Today is a gift. We woke up this morning. I did a funeral this week. I, I do a lot of funerals in our community. did a funeral this week and um, just dealt with a family, uh, just a tragic situation. Uh, um, while I was at the funeral home, family, um, 37-year-old man with a wife and four kids, eight and under. 37-year-old man just died in his sleep. And, um, you know, she's got four kids, eight and under to figure out what to do with right now. And it's just like, holy cow. And I just, I had to stop and remember that I don't, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed anything. But I have today. And, and God has given me everything I've had so far. And he's given you everything you've had so far. We have the life God's given us. And that's a gift. And, so, and let's be honest. We've been given more than just life. We've been given eternal life. Our hope is that whenever this race is over, it goes on because of what Jesus did for us. That's what we celebrated last week. He died on the cross. He rose again. Life goes on. This is not the end. 
So we've been given salvation through Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, we've got life, we have eternal life, we have salvation. And if we were honest, we have got a whole lot more blessings in our life than just those things. I think Zig Ziglar used to say, when you focus on your problems, all you see are problems. And when you focus on your opportunities, all you see are opportunities, right? And, and so we can forget sometimes how good God has been. But life can also be a struggle. And when we're going through a struggle, when we've hit a rough patch of our lives in a broken world on our journey through it, that rough patch, that difficult season of life has nothing to do with the goodness of God. He is good. He is love. God is love. And he's a God of love. And so remembering his goodness during the times of loss and setback and disappointment so important. And again, we don't say we love God only for his sake. We say it for our sake to remind ourselves that even during the tough times, he's worthy of our love. And isn't that something we also all want to hear? Come on now. We're all human, right? Don't you, don't you want to know someone loves you? Don't you just want to know someone loves you? I do. I do. Don't you want to know that someone values you? Don't you want to know that there's somebody who loves you even when they disagree with you? Right? That's the trick. Because if you don't think anyone loves you and if they disagree with you, you're walking on eggshells all the time. Right? Because you're going to blow it up and it's going to be over once they find out you're not perfect in their eyes. But if someone can love you even when they disagree with you, that's unconditional love. Don't we all want to be loved that way? Folks, where do we get that from? We're made in God's image. We're made in God's image. Listen, folks, God loves us unconditionally, but do we love him back? Do we love God even when we don't agree with him? Do we love God even when we don't agree with what he's doing in our lives? Like, God, I don't agree with all this. I understand. I wouldn't do it this way. But God, I don't forget how good you've been and who you are, and I still love you. I remember, and by the way, where do we, we get that from him? We're made in his image. We get that from him. I'm going to tell you a personal story here. Um, years and years ago, before we were in this building, we were in our old location down, tucked away by the other, um, anyway, we were our other church building. And we used to have church like every, all the time. We lived at the church. And we had Wednesday night services then every week. And every Sunday night, Wednesday night, it seemed like I always had counseling after church. It was always something going on. Uh, Anthony and Tiffany Curtis were a part of our church back then. And uh, he, they, they were on, he wasn't on staff yet, but they would just stay Every night, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they would stay until everyone else went home because I'm the last one to leave. And I'd come out of my office from meeting with people and doing things. I'm exhausted. They'd still be there waiting to make sure I was okay before we left together. That was so kind. But I would go home. My family would be sent home ahead of me because I had little kids who had to go to bed. You know, so I'm, I'm you know, this is before Lindsay was even born and I, Brett and Jessica were little. And so I'd leave the church sometimes and go home. My kids would be in bed already on Wednesday nights or something. One Wednesday night, I'm heading home. It's really late. It's like 10.30 at night. I'm finally getting off the office. Heading back to, I'm driving, I lived in Lowell, and I'm leaving the church building, and I'm driving around the south side of Lowerman down to where the Bugaboo's restaurant's at now. As I circle around the restaurant, it wasn't Bugaboo's back then, but I'm circling around that area. I'm just praying. I'm just talking to God. I'm saying, God, Thank you for the services tonight. Help us with our Sunday services and be with the people I just talked to and help this. I'm just kind of throwing my list to God of all the things I needed his help with. As I'm driving around that part of the lake down by the water, 
I stopped in my prayer time, and for some reason I said, Lord, I keep telling you all the things I want from you, but God, what do you want from me today? God, what is it you want from me? Now, I didn't hear God say something in an audible voice, but there's been a few times in my life when God spoke to my heart unmistakably. And I'm like, Lord, what do you want from me today? And it's like I heard God so clearly say in my soul, just love me. And it floored me. Of course I loved him. I was busy serving him. I'm pastoring a church. I'm meeting with people. I'm a hustling and bustling. I'm... But I began to just weep, just cry as I'm driving down towards Stacey's top. I thought, I thought, Lord, I'm so busy loving you and doing all the good things in my life. When's the last time I slowed down and just said, God, I just want to take a minute to enjoy you, to say how much I appreciate what you've done for me through all of it. I actually pulled off the side of the road not far from where you and Melissa live. I was going on Moore Street there and just pulled off the side of the road on Morse and just got my composure for five minutes, just weeping and saying, God, you know I love you, but I've not been slowing down enough to, to pause and think about it. But I need you and I love you. Right? Was the old poem, tell me if you love me or not? You told me once, but I forgot. And when it comes to love, it's a statement that is backed up with our lives. Our actions add veracity to our words. Our actions speak louder than our words. I understand that. But the words should be there also. There's a famous pastor 200 years ago named Charles Spurgeon who pastored in England, a, a church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And Spurgeon once said, I want to live in such a way that when I say, I love you, Lord, he responds, I know you do, Charles. That's what I want. I want to live in such a way that when I say, I love you, Lord, I hear him, he, he could, he, his voice could be saying, I know you do, Arlen. Listen, as you continue your faith journey, here's two statements to add into your relationship with God. Lord, things are going rough. I'm in a wilderness. I'm in a struggle of life season. Lord, I need you. But now I'm in a season of prosperity. God, things are going really well. But God, you know what? I still need you. God, things are going really well. Everything's awesome. I love you. God, I'm going through a season of struggle. God, I still love you. I think that I need you and I love you applies to all seasons of life. It's more difficult in certain seasons than the other, but it applies to all of them. And I hope that as you continue your faith journey, these two statements can be added to your relationship and your busy days and your on your good days, your bad days, your up days, your down days. Lord, I need you. and Lord, I love you. It will help remind you mainly and acknowledge to him that you're aware of his presence always. Because don't we love him and don't we need him? I love you, Lord, and here is why you came to earth to bleed and die. You rose again and gave me hope when hope was gone. You came into my heart to stay and said you'd never go away. And that is why I love you, Lord, for all you've done.